I'm Angela Barnes. And I'm John O'Farrell. And before we crack on with today's episode of We Are History, we just wanted to give you a little date for your diary because John and I are going to be hosting a live Zoom event for all our listeners. That's right. On Thursday, 31st of August at 8pm, Angela and I will be chatting all things We Are History and answering your questions. Yes. For example, can you go too far back for context? Or does John really own a piece of the Berlin Wall? I do. I really do. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> All you need to do to join us is send an email to wearehistory at podmasters.co.uk to request an invitation. Yes, and wearehistory at podmasters.co.uk is also where you should send your questions. So if there's anything you've been dying to know, any burning questions you'd like to ask, now is your chance. I've got one, actually. How come Tarzan never has a beard? Yeah, it's a good point, John, but I meant questions related to the podcast. Right, gotcha. So why don't you grab a drink and join us at 8pm on 31st of August from the comfort of your living room on Zoom. Oh, they'll get to see our living rooms. That's a good point, actually. I'd better order some of your books to prominently display so you don't kick off. Surely you have them all already. Of course I do, John. So don't forget to email your questions to wearehistory at podmasters.co.uk and we'll see you on the 31st of August. And welcome to We Are History. I'm Angela Barnes and the man sitting opposite me is Lord John O'Farrell, OBE. Boris Johnson owed me a favour or two, Angela. <laughs> it's not true, actually, is it? Just before anyone gets excited, you haven't been given an OBE and not told me, have you? No, no, no. I would. Uh, I turned down all those things. I keep turning yeah. them down. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. I do love it, though, because I, you know, I bought you that Lordship of Sealand oh, after yes. our Sealand episode, because you know, we're mates. And, yeah. and then you think about it and you think, well, that's actually what happens in real life in this country. Yeah, just your mates. Every friend of <laughs> Boris Johnson or treasurer or major donor of the Conservative Party gets made a lord. No. Same thing. Yeah, I would have just asked for an electric scooter or something. Yeah. <laughs> something more yeah, practical. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about the class struggle today, Angela. Yes. And I know all about that coming from where I come from. That's right. Um, it was pretty tough getting out of Maidenhead. But uh, luckily, I got a car when I was 17. It is made a it a hell of a one-way system, <laughs> I <just> agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what we're talking about, is it, John? We are no. talking about the landed gentry versus the rural peasantry. John has chosen the Kinder Scout mass protest. Not to be confused with the Kinder Egg mass protest when thousands protested how hard it was to put the little fiddly toys <laughs> together. It is hard. Yeah, the reason I chose this, Angela... I had a weekend away. Right, show I, off. I went walking in the Peak District. I had a wheezing holiday. <laughs> There's no better feeling than climbing to the top of the peaks and lying mm. panting on your back thinking you might pass out. Uh, you a walker, Angela? I like the idea of a walking holiday, John. The problem I have is that I the countryside is beautiful and I like to spend time in it, but I always forget that the countryside hates me. Okay. Because I'm allergic to everything. Uh, it turns out that where insects are concerned, I'm basically, I've got three Your Michelin bait. stars. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, I like the idea of it, but it always ends in, in sneezing and um, bites yeah. and things. Going for long walks is one of those things, isn't it? When you're a kid can't see the point of. You have to be a grown-up. I yeah, think you, you have do. to be over 40 to really want to go on a long walk for no reason. Yeah, going on a walk and ending up where you started. They're like, yeah. what's the point of that? Yeah. When you we didn't in, get anywhere. We were in West Court last year walking with my grown-up kids and uh, we've been walking in the middle of nowhere for hours and Lily went, if we don't get there soon, I'm calling an Uber. 
It's like, no, that doesn't work like that outside of London, Lily. But anyway, doing this hike got me thinking that, of course, all these public footpaths didn't just land there by themselves. The freedom we have to enjoy the great outdoors was a hard-fought right, and I thought we could do a facetious podcast about all those brave trailblazers. Even today in lots of countries, far less access to the countryside. So I always go to Ireland a lot. It's completely empty Ireland, and it has a long history of defying landowners. But it's really hard to cut across farms. You get farmers saying you shouldn't be crossing his land. Get off my land. Yeah, well, Fintan O'Toole called the Irish law perhaps the most negative and mean-spirited regime for walkers in Europe. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah. But in England, of course, we've got the right to roam, as established by various acts of parliament. Um, but they were fiercely contested back in the day, weren't they? And the most famous protests in this story, uh, that's what we're talking about. Yes. So my source material for this episode was uh, Kinder Scout and the Legend of the Mass Trespass by David Hay. That was from the Agricultural History Review, which, of course, both Andrew and I Absolutely, subscribe to. Absolutely, I never to. miss an issue. Yeah, I, I, I get um, it for the onions on page three. Uh, <laughs> and um, plus the right... could have been worse. You could have said melons or something. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> plus the Right to Rome by Marion Showed, which I got out from the library. I'm old fashioned like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Forbidden Land by Tom Stevenson, who was a major figure in the history of this particular fight. So there was a village of Kinder, which was recorded in the Doomsday Book, but that shrank to a single farm is now submerged under a reservoir. Yes. So Kinder Scout is like a rocky plateau about three miles to the northeast of the little village of Hayfield in the far northeast of Derbyshire. Yeah. And the Hayfield Kinder Scout and District Ancient Footpaths and Bridleway Association, you remember, Snappy. John? Snappy. Um, was one of the main protection societies that sprang up across Britain uh, during the 1870s. Yeah, so with the urbanisation of Britain after the Industrial Revolution, uh, access to the countryside became far more important. The Hayfield Association published a walking guide to stop its members straying off the ancient pack horse trails across the hills so as to prevent as far as possible annoyance to landowners from excursionists and others who might wander off piste, as they didn't say back then. No, that's definitely not a phrase they would have used. <laughs> <laughs> um, but despite them being so thoughtful and considerate about this, in 1877, they found that gamekeepers had fenced off the path to protect the grouse nesting on the hills from being disturbed. Yes, remember our podcast from dogs. It was only in Victorian times that it became common for ordinary people to get a pet dog. Um, and so, you know, the gamekeepers stopped the access to these paths. Remember that shooting only mm. happened for about 10 days a year. So the gamekeepers were denying everyone else access for the other 355 yeah. days. This ancient footpath we're talking about ran along a stream called William Clough. That's a very formal name for a stream, isn't it? <laughs> what should we call this stream? What about William? Bit over familiar. How about William Clough? <laughs> Mr. Clough, actually, to those who haven't been formally introduced. Hey, this is in Derbyshire, and Brian Clough managed Derby, didn't he? I wonder if there's any relation to William Clough. <laughs> Maybe. Apparently, a clough is a word for a stream, and it was named ah. after a local cutler and blacksmith who was called, let me check my notes, William. William. And wasn't it also the site of a Mesolithic hunting camp? No. I mean, yes, it was, but we're not going back that far, Angela. I've gone back to the 1870s. That's your lot. Spoiled all my time. <laughs> this path was also used for an annual pilgrimage by the Methodists in an area where Methodism was a potent force. 
A 20-year battle ensued during which £1,000 was raised to finance the fight for the path, which eventually resulted in its reinstatement to the accompaniment of a brass band. You can't block the path to righteousness, can you, you John? It's amazing, isn't it, how things happen when uh, it starts affecting religious people? Anyway, um, this victory drew attention to the shortage of access in other places away from the William Clough footpath. Yeah. And people began to question, I guess, this whole issue of access. Yes. So one of the early heroes of the rambling movement was Burt Ward. What? Not Burt Ward who played Robin in the 1960s oh. Batman series. <laughs> Holy must trespass, Batman. No, Burt with an E, not a U. That would have been good if Batman and Robin had been part of the mass trespass. <laughs> could have thrown their bat-shaped boomerangs, secure a rope to a boulder at the top, pull themselves up, eaten Kendall Mint cake they just happened to have in the utility belt. Anyway, in 1900, George Herbert Bridges Ward formed what he described as the first Sunday Workers' Rambling Club in the north of England, the Sheffield Clarion Ramblers. Ah. And it was to become the most active group in the access movement during the first half of the 20th century. And Ward became widely known as the vociferous King of the Ramblers. So just how much, John, you consider Burt Ward to be the real hero of this story? Is it related to the fact that from 1903 to 1911 he served as the secretary of the newly formed Sheffield branch of the Labour Representation Committee, forerunner of the Labour Party? No, it's the d- duty of this historian to be neutral and detached from such matters. So obviously I take no sides between the local mm. Labour Party activist who wanted to open up the countryside for the good health of his fellow workers and the upper class toffs who tried to stop anyone enjoying the countryside. So they could murder animals for their own <laughs> entertainment. I mean, who is to say who is right on this one? It's just one of those impossible moral dilemmas. If you there? say so, John. So maybe we'll take our first break there, Angela, <laughs> and we'll come back and see what's happening with Burt Ward. So... Burt Ward. Not the one who wore a mask in his underpants on the outside. The Sheffield Burt Ward. He put an ad in the Clarion inviting local readers to join him on a strenuous 20-mile ramble around Kinder Scout on Sunday the 2nd of September 1900, meeting at Sheffield Midland Station to catch the 8.30am train to Edale. Eleven men and three women took up the invitation they probably already knew each other, apparently. There was a new rail line, wasn't there? The line through the Hope Valley to Manchester with the station at Edale, which had been opened in 1894. So now ordinary people from the industrial cities on either side of the Pennines had quick and cheap access right into the heart of the Peak District, including yeah. Kinder Scout. And yeah. of course, we've got an episode on the railways that sort of yes. covers this kind of thing. Um, so the party hiked via the William Clough footpath around the northern side of Kinder Scout to the Snake Inn. Oh, yes. uh, this was a path that had been reopened three years earlier. And they get to the inn and they order tea for 14, uh, which was quite a surprise to the staff who had to go and bake fresh bread and cakes. And I'd like to say here, John, as someone who worked in catering as a student, I feel there's nothing worse than like, oh, getting to the end of your shift and then a coach load turns up. 14, it's like, can you make us some cake? And also it reminds me because they had to go and make fresh bread and cakes. Just a little story. Um, it reminds me, John, of a time I was um, in Grossmoor National Park in Newfoundland with um, Matt, my husband, and we were staying in a cabin and there was just one little diner in yeah. the area. And we went there every day for breakfast and their breakfast are big, meaty, lardy, salty Canadian breakfast. And this one morning I went in there and I was like, I can't eat any more of this. Like, I'm really... So I ordered a fruit salad 
right. this place. And what eventually arrived after taking about half an hour was a bowl of melon. <laughs> and obviously nobody had ever ordered a fruit salad, but they were like, shit, we haven't got any fruit. <laughs> and this, like, is, this is Newfoundland. <laughs> it's Newfoundland. not the Caribbean. What, what are they doing? Yeah. Who is this person? They obviously just found a melon somewhere eventually. Yeah. Well, these poor people uh, had to cater for the 14 Ramblers. And then it gets worse. They had a sing-song. Oh, my God. <laughs> as if that wasn't enough. Yeah. So they have their sing-song and they have their long walk back. They catch the train at Hope, arriving back in Sheffield at 8 p.m. What a day, Ward kept repeating. Pioneers, oh, pioneers. And he was asked to organise five more walks the following year. From such modest beginnings, a mass movement was created. Now, I'm all in favour of a good walk. Angela, but communal singing in the pub. Yeah, no, I'm with you, John. Yeah, I think that's where me and Bert Ward part company. Nothing worse when someone gets a bloody guitar out, is <laughs> when it? Jackie and I finished our walk across the peaks and went to the pub. Jackie didn't get up on the karaoke machine and start singing I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. No, not so, after last time, eh? <laughs> no, no. Um, so Ward's slogan was, a rambler made is a man improved, which appears on the front of the Sheffield Clarion Ramblers publication from 1906 onwards. Another favourite one was, the man who was never lost never went very far. Um, exceptionally long, arduous walks were organised under the slogan, to be a clarion rambler and learn to be a man. I don't know, John. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting quite a masculine vibe here. It's not a lot about women being allowed to hold the map, is <laughs> no, there? I'll take that map off. You know, don't fold it like that. <laughs> I've got a friend who, the, you know, he would endure any torture under the Gestapo, but fold the Ordnance Survey map wrong, and he will like he'll he'll crumble. So I'll tell you anything. <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. I've got a theory why men are obsessed with maps. Yeah, it's because only they can understand the concept of three inches equaling a mile. Oh, eh? she's on fire. <laughs> now, this is all the olden days, Angela. Women haven't been invented yet. Um, Ward believed that the leaders of every ramble should have interesting information to pass on about the local and natural history of the countryside. Today, this person is known as Dad. So so me, it's like, see those ruins, kids? They are famine cottages lost to the great Irish potato famine of 1846. Oh, really, Dad? You only told us about that roughly 1,000 times. <laughs> you know you invite me to come on that walk with you. Yeah, changed my mind. Um, so our friend Bert Ward spent hours and hours in the library in Sheffield researching ancient bridleways and historic paths across old maps. And at first, his favourite course uh, was to negotiate limited access agreements with landowners, right. such as that over the door to Hattersage Bridleway, which was agreed in 1928. Um, where there was no evidence of a former right-of-way, then he was prepared to accept a permit allowing him to cross a moor as a first step in the wider campaign for the right to roam over uncultivated land. Yeah. So this cheap travel by rail into the heart of the Peak District had made these forbidden lands accessible to ramblers and they demanded not just the restoration of old rights-of-way but the freedom to wander at will over some of the wildest terrain in yeah. England. And in the latter 20s and 30s, cheap rail and bus fares encouraged many more working class people to walk for pleasure in the British countryside. And rambling became a mass activity. Encouraged they didn't by, have Netflix, did they? They didn't have Netflix then, no, no. no. So it was encouraged by such uh, thrilling bodies as the Holiday Fellowship, the Cooperative Holidays Association and the Youth Hostel Association. And it's been estimated that about 10,000 people visited the Peak District each summer weekend. And trespassing on the forbidden summits of the Grousemoor was far more common than is now generally realised, though rambling clubs were wary of doing this as organised groups for fear of legal action. 
Federations of rambling clubs were formed in several provincial cities led by Manchester 1919, Liverpool 1922, Sheffield 1926, a union of 15 clubs which Ward was instrumental in creating. So yeah, in 1927, representatives from many parts of the country from these clubs met at Hope in a historic first meeting. And it's becoming apparent that the outdoor movement needed some sort of national body to represent the interests of ramblers. So this came about in September 1931, when delegates from around the country attended a meeting at Longshore Lodge, as a result of which the National Council of Ramblers Federations, the forerunner of the Ramblers Association, came about. I have the minutes here, the first meeting of the Ramblers. We ought to form a protest group. Well, when I say protest, I mean campaign. Well, I don't know what I mean, really. I mean, I'm sure I've booked a big enough room for this meeting. Well, I say meeting, it's more of a gathering, really, of people interested in rambling. Well, I say oh, rambling. God. It took me far too long to realise that was John doing a joke about rambling. <laughs> These are the jokes, Angela. Far Come too on. Long. Oh, my you goodness. You can't me. do a podcast about ramblers and not do a if rambling. If anyone needs joke. me, I'll be banging my head on this wall over here. <laughs> so, what is clear. That ramblers were organised and active long before the mass trespass of 1932. And indeed, they were trespassing, often in quite large numbers, before the most famous legendary incident. Mm. So the legend of the mass trespass rather gives the impression that this single act was what changed everything. But as so often with how we remember history, the dramatic gesture gets the headlines, but the years of diligent campaigning doesn't make it into the movie. This reminds me of, um, we did Mark Steele's podcast recently, didn't we? We were interviewed on that and we were talking about this. So if you haven't listened to that, yeah. listen to it. Um, what the fuck is going on is the name of the podcast. And they interviewed me and John. And we were talking about how tipping points in history, they usually follow a lot of unremembered groundwork yes. that went before. That, and the people that prepared the ground often for the big events yes. get forgotten, get lost in history. Um, so tell us then about... This tipping point, the subject of this podcast, the Kinder Scout Trespass in 1932. Well, this was led by a member of the Young Communist League, Benny Rothman. He was only 21. He was under five foot tall of Jewish-Romanian parentage. I mentioned that because it might be a factor later. Mm. He was secretary of the British Workers' Sports Federation. Mm. Sounds like a commie front organisation to me. They had welcomed some comrades from the London section to hike over High Peak, during Easter 1932, but they got stopped by abusive and threatening gamekeepers. And Rothman thought, if there'd been 40 or 50 of us, rather than six or seven, then there would have been nothing they could have done. So he hit upon the idea of a mass trespass. Firstly, trespass is the wrong word, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. Because these were established rights of way, ancient bridleways that have been illegally closed off by the landowners. Yeah. But secondly, I know he said that if there's been 40 or 50 of them, they couldn't have done anything, but they do have shotguns, gamekeepers. <laughs> well, I think they'd sticks so, yeah. usually, but um, <laughs> uh, Rothman was pretty new to rambling. He didn't know about the steady progress that had been made by the various organisations who didn't want their recent gains imperiled by mass action. Mm. When they heard about this young hothead suddenly provoking trouble... Manchester Ramblers and Sheffield Ramblers were opposed to this. They weren't consulted or asked about how it might impact their years of campaigning. But Benny was young. He was a communist. He wanted results now. Yeah, he produced flyers, wrote in chalk on the pavement to publicise the event. And people got excited about this idea of mass action. So they were going to start with a demonstration at two o'clock at Hayfield Recreation Ground and then head up to the high ground at Kinder Scout and then back by six in the evening. And here's the bit I love. The seasoned ramblers were like, 2pm start, six miles. That's not rambling. That's just a short stroll up a hill. I think this might be what irritated them as much as this young upstart putting himself at the front of the campaign. (laughs) 
Oh, it's brilliant. There's various estimates for the numbers that actually gathered to take part. Uh, Rothman claimed six to eight hundred. The Manchester Guardian estimated four to five hundred. But either way, it was a pretty impressive crowd to have got without the support of the rambling clubs. Yeah. When they gathered in Hayfield, there were large numbers of police present. So rather than provoke arrest by giving speeches saying they were going to trespass, they skipped the speeches and set off up to kinder, singing as they went. It's the singing again, Angela. (laughs) (laughs) They were mostly young men and the few women were kept to the back in case there was any violence along the way. So they're singing. They're singing. It's a long way to Tipperary. Some reports say they sang the red flag. Interesting fact, a young Ewan McCall was Ah. on the march. And ended up writing a song about it. Would you like me to sing, Angela? Oh, no, John. Let's go rambling now. Everybody's learning how. Come on, a mass trespass with me. Oh, hang on. That's the Beach Boys. That was their first oh, draft. Dear. And then they changed it to surfing and had a much bigger hit with it than they probably would have done. <laughs> um, oh, so when they get to the top of the hill, 40 or 50 or so of the trespassers were confronted by eight gamekeepers armed yep. with sticks. And this big fight ensued. Um, now this, this, you see, is where you need the other Burt Wards, the one from Batman and Robin. Kapow, bam, oof, that's what you need. <laughs> that would have been better. Um, so no one was seriously hurt in this fight, but one report said a gamekeeper was knocked unconscious and he twisted his ankle as he fell, but he managed to walk back down again with some help and he was taken by car to Stockport Infirmary. Um, Benny Rothman himself wasn't involved in the fight. It's probably just as well if he was under five feet tall. Sorry, I've got to say something here, John. Every yeah. time you say Benny Rothman, it makes me think of cigarettes. I know, yeah. It's Benny with Benson and Hedges I and then know. Rothman. So Benny Rothman's like a double whammy. Anyway, <laughs> um, the ironic thing, of course, was they never actually made it to Kinder Scout, did they? They didn't really know where they were. So they marched along a path that had been open since 1897. Yes, it actually a path they're allowed to walk along. Yeah. It wasn't much of a trespass. And so, yeah, it was the proper uh, ramblers who later pointed this out, that they'd been about three miles from Kinderscout, <laughs> and it was called the Kinderscout Mess Trespass. The group finally made it back to Hayfield, where they marched in triumph, singing until they found the police waiting for them, and a half a dozen of them, identified by a keeper, were arrested for a riotous assembly. Mm. That rather dampened the mood. At least it stopped the singing. And uh, <laughs> a hat was passed around to pay for fines. Maybe we should take a break there and yes. see what happens when the court case comes up. Hello and welcome back to We Are History. Six young men between the ages of 23 and 19 were put on trial at New Mills. And when they saw the makeup of the jury, they knew they were in trouble. There were military officers, aldermen, country gentlemen, the very people who might have been likely to be invited to go shooting (laughs) on the areas where the young communists had made their protests. I can't see that being a problem, John. (laughs) Um, So the judge kindly pointed out that half of them were Jewish and told the jury not to let the fact that they had foreign-sounding names affect their consideration. Do not let the fact that these men are not from good British Christian stock enter your head at all. <laughs> the fact that they sound like foreign heathens should not be a factor. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the prosecution observed that one of them was a Quaker, and then he made a rather good joke, Angela. He Did said, he? he said, did you quake on this occasion? <laughs> I wouldn't open with it. Yeah. 
The lads didn't help themselves by being late back to court from lunch, saying they hadn't been able to find a cafe. (laughs) (laughs) Young people, eh? (laughs) So although none of them had ever been in trouble before, they were sent to prison. That seems a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Sentences ranging from four months to two months. Uh, One of the six was from a rich banking family. So, of course, John, he was offered the chance to apologise because, you know, rich people aren't subject to criminal justice. Um, But he did refuse, and so he was sent to prison as well. Yeah. Now, before the trial, the trespassers hadn't received much public support. Yeah. Um, the mainstream rambling groups were angry that these young communists had come along and ruined the patient lobbying work that they'd been doing. Yeah, even the working class locals in the country villages had disapproved of these city youths coming in and making all this fuss and noise. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised, really. But the turning point then came... Because there's widespread disgust at the harsh sentences, which were all out of proportion to the crime. So they thought, okay, we didn't want them here. We didn't want them to do this, but this isn't right. And the Manchester Guardian captured the public mood when it said that the trespass had resembled a university rag and should have been treated as such. There was another mass trespass in support of the imprisoned ramblers. And far from discouraging people onto the moors, the harsh prison sentences did the opposite. Betty Rothman actually did not continue with any campaign for rights of way. Uh, while the established rambling organisations continued to lobby and research and campaign. Indeed. In 1934, Phil Barnes, no relation, uh, who'd been involved in the Sheffield-organised Abbey Brook trespass, he published a booklet um, with Ward's enthusiastic endorsement in which he showed that the owners of the 17 Peak District Moors, where access was refused, comprised three dukes, one earl, two knights, two army officers, eight industrialists and one local authority. Yes. So another of the seasoned campaigners, Tom Stevenson, had become a journalist writing about the countryside for the Labour-supporting newspaper The Daily Herald. He addressed the annual Winnett's Past rally the following year and then in 1935 he wrote about his inspired idea of a Pennine Way stretching from Edale and Kinderscout to Scotland. From 1948, Stevenson would be secretary of the Ramblers Association. He was a tireless campaigner for walkers' rights and he personally organised well-publicised treks in the Pennines for influential Labour MPs, lobbying their support. He wrote one of the books I read for this podcast. In 1939, a private member's bill for more access to the countryside uh, was killed by Conservative MPs. Surprise, surprise. And then the war put all such thoughts on hold. But the election of a Labour government in 1945 brought a new impetus to the lobbying by the Ramblers Association. And it culminated in the National Parks and Access to the Countryside Act of 1949. Yes, yeah, so the very first national park created was the Peak District, where the trespass had happened. Nine other national parks were soon to follow. The Act also provided for the establishment of agreements for public access to the Forbidden Moorlands. From Easter 1954, the 11th Duke of Devonshire allowed the public to roam over his part of Kinderscout, uh, which isn't in Devonshire. And four years later, agreement was reached on access across the remaining part of the Kinder Plateau after the Peak Park Planning Board had threatened to issue orders on 15 owners. Uh, Meanwhile, in 1957, the Duke of Devonshire allowed access over Bleaklow, which was soon to be crossed by the Pennine Way. So... Important as these concessions were, they did not lead to outright victory for the ramblers. The water companies concerned about pollution to reservoirs sometimes issued permits to ramblers, but other landowners continued to refuse access. 
So it was not until the year 2000, 68 years after the mass trespass, that the Countryside and Rights of Way Act, passed by another uh, Labour government with a landslide, granted everyone the right to roam in an open countryside. So the legend of the mass trespass of Kinder Scout is something of a new legend. It was forgotten for decades until Marxist historian E.P. Thompson included the story in his seminal work, The History of the English Working Class. And of course, having Ewan McCall write a song about it didn't hurt either. No, when the Ramblers Association celebrated its half centenary, they really bigged up the story of the mass trespass, even though they'd been very much against it at the time. Yeah. And people then began to get the idea that the Ramblers Association had come out of the mass trespass in 1932. And that sort of became widely accepted as fact, although, as we've seen, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, I think it's because they abbreviated their name that year. Mm. But the, 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 the mass trespass was basically a stunt. It's a, it's a good, simple story with young victims and posh villains, which is why I think it's found its place into the public consciousness. Uh, the media coverage and the prison sentences did help gain publicity and public support for the Ramblers. But the truth is that it didn't change policy in the way the long and persistent campaign of the long-term campaigners did. Yeah, so basically uh, what John's doing here is bigging up the Labour Party guys and saying the communists were just attention-seeking troublemakers. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the simple story of the mass trespass helped shape public opinion as Labour sought to get support for the right to roam. Yeah, but I would argue it was the Labour landslides of uh, 1945 and 1997 that gave us access to the countryside and all the hard lobbying in the years before, not one chaotic trespass that didn't actually make it to the right place. Yeah. But uh, despite... These victories, Angela, the battle continues. So as mm. I said, Jackie and I were in the peaks last week. We climbed this great big hill in Derbyshire and then we were a bit confused because the signs ran out and it looked like we should cross this field, but it had just been planted and there were no paths and we didn't want to trample all over the crops. So we went a very long way round until we got chatting to a local who explained that the cause of our confusion, local gamekeepers had taken down the right-of-way signs, had planted the field with maize for the pheasants to feed on before they were shot, so it's the same old battle still playing out. Hunting mm. for the gentry takes precedence over access for everyone. Yeah, even today, if they could close off whole national parks and make them exclusively for hunting and shooting, they absolutely would. Yeah, yeah would. Do you remember what that bloody bollocks with a countryside alliance? Oh God, what a load yeah. of old rubbish that was. They had hundreds of thousands of people marching about protecting the countryside. But it was all about hunting, about killing foxes for fun. Nothing about how supermarkets were screwing over the farmers. Nothing about rural poverty and how absentee landlords were putting up rents on tenanted properties. Mm. Countryside Alliance was like a front organisation for posh hunters and people who just hated the idea of the Labour government. Mm. If, that, if they come back into London now, if they, if they come marching through London... Uh, it's John Snuff rambling. <laughs> no, <laughs> no Actually, I'll tell you, if they come down into London, I'll take one of them down an alleyway, I'll nick his watch and I'll nick his wallet. And if he objected, I went, you country folk, you just don't like the ways of the city, do you? <laughs> no, no, sorry about all the rambling. Yes, I'm, I'm going to stick up a minute for, for the ramblers. Oh, absolutely. Um, because here's a little fun fact for you. Um, my lovely friend Amal Latif has just become president of the ramblers. Do you know Amal Latif? He's a blind yeah, yeah. guy, a Scottish guy, does a lot of TV travel programs. He um, he was brilliant on Celebrity MasterChef a few years ago. Fantastic, First yes. blind person to do that. And yeah. I met him when I was doing Mastermind with him a little while ago and we became pals. And um, yeah, in April this year, he took over. Before him, it was Stuart McConey. Oh, yeah. Um, who um, was president of the Ramblers. And before that, Janet Street Porter. Janet Street so, Porter. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool, really. It is. Well, I'm a, I'm a Rambler. 
I'm not a rambler. I like a walk in the countryside. Um, Jackie likes it a bit more than me. So sometimes I say, can we not go for a five hour walk? But yeah, yeah I do enjoy getting out there in the, as long as the weather's all right. So that's the last of this present series, John, of We Are History. Um, but we are coming back in the autumn with some more episodes. Yes. And this time we know we are because we've got Podmasters whipping us into shape. Yes. And there might be a We Are History movie uh, starring Ryan Gosling as John O'Farrell and Margot Robbie as Angela Barnes. <laughs> So that's not definite yet, is Angela? Um, that often these projects fall at the last hurdle. Yeah, the first hurdle being that John just made that up right now. Uh, please subscribe to our Patreon club to help us make more episodes and pay for dog food for Tina. Am I right, Angela, that you're down to your last tin of dog food mm. and little Tina might starve if more people don't sign up to our Patreon account? It's true, John. I'm sorry. So there you have it, listeners. No emotional pressure, but give us money or a little cockapoo will die. Oh, God, who's so <laughs> So, yes, and when we come back in the autumn, I might have a puppy, Angela. Oh, are you uh, expecting? Yes, no, I put myself down for a pup, so uh, the mummy's expecting, and I think we're on the list. Oh, um, fingers crossed. So we want to say thank you, don't we, to our wonderful Patreon supporters? We do. They are the reason we're able to keep making these silly podcasts that we love so much. So let's say thank you to... Caroline Herring. Jody, Chris Clark. Kat Moody. Jenny Bowyer. Uh, you are all true connoisseurs. Thank you for joining us. Um, there are more of you and we are grateful to all of you and you will all get a shout out at some point on the podcast. To find out more about becoming part of the We Are History Patreon gang, you can access episodes ad-free and a week early, plus get loads of merchandise. Click on the link in our show notes. Let's play out with the Manchester Rambler. I'll start you off. I'm a rambler, I'm a rambler, and a rambling I go. I don't know the words. See you next time. Bye. We Are History is written and presented by Angela Barnes and John O'Farrell, with audio production by me, Simon Williams. The lead producer is Anne-Marie Luff, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison, with artwork by James Parrott, We Are History is a Podmasters production.